What's up, church? <laughs> well, my name is Chet White. I am a member here at Outpost, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have been loved by Jesus Christ, and subsequently that makes me now a disciple of Jesus Christ. And my goal here is to be a disciple of Christ and also to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we get a brief window to be able to do that in this setting. So if you have a Bible or you have a phone with a Bible app on it, our main text this morning is going to be in the book of John. So if you can turn to John chapter 13, we're going to be in verses 34 and 35. So once you get there, John 13, 34, and 35, all the texts that we'll be in will be on the screen behind me if you'd like to look up and just follow along there or follow along in your Bibles. John 13, 34, and 35. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. God, thank you for your word. I pray that you will speak through your word this morning, that your word will be what convicts hearts and souls, Lord. And whether we know you this morning or we don't know you, I pray that your spirit will come and will work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were here last week, you heard the first sermon that we have on this series in which we're preaching about the church. And Greg, Greg taught us last week how the church began. We looked at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and we ended in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. And if you remember, right there at the end of how the church began, we have Peter before all these Jews that had gathered from all these different regions at Pentecost, and Peter stands up. And he preaches a very short message, but it was a very cutting message. Because what did Jesus tell them? He proclaimed two things. One, he proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Two, he proclaimed that we, collectively, all of us, are guilty of nailing him to the cross. And when he preached that message to them, their response their response is one of someone who receives God's word, applies it to their hearts, and they are cut to the heart. And what comes out from that? There's added to the church that day 3,000 souls. That's how it all began. Today we're going to look at what the church is known for. So to start it off, in Acts chapter 2, we'll pick up right where, where Greg left off in verse 42, and we'll finish out the chapter there in Acts chapter 2. It's on the screen behind me as well. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So a quick show of hands. In those six verses, how many of you would like to be in a church like that? Count me in. I've been longing to be a part of something like that most of my adult life. Even as I was a teenager and I was reading this in Acts, man, every time I would read this at the end of Acts 2, go ahead to the end of Acts 4 and you'll see the same thing, but it's in, it's in even greater measure. Like the church, it's amazing their love for one another. They're sacrificing of themselves for one another. And every time I'm in wonder and I say, God, is that even possible today? And then I dig down a little deeper and I say, is that possible for me to be like that today? As I've dwelt on those questions for the church and for myself, I'm prone to negativity. I don't know about you, but I go to negative places when I think about that. I think, well, I don't think the people in the church would ever be comfortable giving up their time, energy, and money for the common good of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Sorry, I'm a little hot. Or, if we did something radical like this, someone would screw it up, right? Someone would get greedy. Someone would withhold like Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of Acts. So, we shouldn't do that. Another thing I think is, Well, I could never do it because I could never build enough trust in you. The problem with this train of thoughts laced with my negativity is that it's all man-centered, isn't it? My train of thought is all on you and it's on me. And I'm sorry to admit this, but I don't have faith in you. Nor should you have faith in me. I don't have faith in myself. So if you're thinking like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to everything that the preacher says from the, the front, and like you make an idol out of the men that are preaching to you, stop doing that. We are men. We are feeble. And we will let you down. So because of that, I think we're all prone to say, well, it would be cool to be a part of something like that but I just don't think it's going to happen. We know that on our own, we're going to let each other down. We let ourselves down, and we've seen it time and time again in our personal lives, in our work lives, and sadly, far too often, within the church, we have been hurt, haven't we? This morning, I'm going to ask you, get your thoughts off of yourselves. And I'm going to work as hard as I can to get my thoughts off of myself. And let's look back at the text in John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says to us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So let's look at some context here. Earlier in John chapter 13, what we see is that Jesus is actually with the 12 disciples. And what does he do with them? Remember when Peter says, Lord, you'll never do this to me. What is it that he's doing to his disciples? Washing their feet. That's right. So Jesus physically, I mean, I, I thought about, well, should we do that image today? Should I, we have someone up here and wash their feet? And I thought it might get a little awkward, so I didn't do it. But Jesus washes 12 of his disciples' feet. And as he, did you also know he washed Judas Iscariot's feet? Because right after he washes their feet, he tells them his soul is grieved, and he says, one of you will betray me. So it's right before we're in this text that Judas Iscariot goes out to sell Jesus Christ for 20 talents of silver or something like that. So who's left? He's got 11 disciples left in the room with him when he gives this new commandment. So who is the new commandment given to? It's given to believers. Judas is gone. Jesus doesn't give this commandment to you in the room who do not know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, this commandment is impossible for you. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, so I'm speaking to the church in the room. If you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sins, believed in Christ, and you are a Christian, there is something you need to know this morning. It's right there in the middle of the text in John chapter 13, 34, and 35. I am convinced that if you spend your next week meditating on this thought, it will transform your lives. Jesus loves you. Are you sick today? Jesus loves you. Are you tired? Jesus loves you. Are you scared? He loves you. Are you stressed? Jesus loves you. Are you lonely? Jesus loves you. Are you scared? Are you weak? Are you struggling in your job? Jesus loves you. Have you been abused? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus loves you. Are you struggling to find fulfillment in your life? Jesus loves you. Are you depressed, anxious, can't sleep, losing your temper, feeling like your life is out of control, or on the flip side, you can't let go of your control? Jesus loves you. Are you a backslidden Christian? Are you stumbling in sin today, Christian? Repent of whatever it is and run back to Jesus because he loves you. You can't hear this enough. Jesus loves you. Honestly, when I, when I got this assignment to preach this passage, and we're going to be going over to Romans chapter 12 later and preaching, um, I'll be preaching through a whole bunch of commands for what it is to be the church. And as I was dwelling on these passages, I thought that the message would look a lot like a new commandment I give to you, and we will be teaching through this, these commandments. Like, 
You should love one another just as Jesus has loved you. And then also, here's 30 ways that you can love one another. And I thought that's what the message would be. But as I dwelt in these two verses, and those six words kept ringing over me this last week and a half, just as I have loved you, I couldn't shake it. I couldn't get over it. God loves me. It's radically changed my life this last week and a half. So when I tell you, if you meditate on this thought, it's going to change your life, it's because it's changed mine. As I live under this knowledge of Jesus loves me, it overwhelms me. It motivates me. So our first point today is, guess what? The church is loved by Jesus Christ. There's only two points in this sermon, and that's the first one. You, the church, are loved by Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone upon which the entire church is built. And without his love for us, there is no church. So do you remember last week when we considered the guilt, the shame that we feel right now, or we have felt at one time in our life, for knowing that we nailed the innocent Son of God to a cross. Do you remember when we talked about that last week? For you who have turned to Christ, or if you haven't turned to Christ, listen to what it's like when you repent of your sins, you believe in Jesus Christ, and you're saved. In Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The church has no condemnation. You are free from that guilt. There's no condemnation, no guilt, and no dread if you are in Christ Jesus today. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you feel that? You are free because you have been loved by the very Son of Man whom you killed with your sin. Isn't that amazing? He's taken that guilt and he's borne it upon himself on the cross. And all he gives you in return is love. He says, I love you. Guys, just for a minute, I'm, I'm not sure who's keeping notes, who's on their phones, whatever. Put them down, please, for a minute, and just consider with me what this is. The same God, if you, know, if you know your Old Testaments, you know the God of Job, where Job has had his friends giving him all this counsel for the first 37 chapters of Job. And then in chapters 38 and 39, do you remember when God shows up and God talks to Job? He starts by saying, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? You imagine God saying that to you? And then he goes on for two whole chapters and describes in great level of detail 
He put, like, what he put into the multiple facets of creation. Like, everything. That God. The same God that proclaims in Psalm 19 that when you walk out of this building today and you look up at the sky, the sky is declaring to you the glory of God. The earth around you as you're walking to your cars is saying, I am his artwork. Look down at the gravel you're walking on. Look up at the mountains. Look at the tumbleweed rolling across the road. God has a sense of artwork in everything he has created and is telling you, I am created by God. The trees that are bouncing around in the wind, they're doing that because God made them to. They're doing what he created them to do and they are speaking to you, God made me. That's the God we're talking about that loves you. Day to day, these, it utters speech as you walk out. You see it. And night unto night, as you look up into the starry sky and you see the moon, you see the knowledge of God. It is proclaiming to you the knowledge, the magnificence of God putting you here in the middle of his giant creation. That's the God we're talking about. The same God that rained fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah because of their rampant wickedness. The same God who outside of the family of Noah could not, could no longer bear with the wickedness of man and sent a flood to destroy the earth. That God, the same God that gave the commandments to Moses that he wrote to the church of Israel back in the, well, it wasn't the church, the people of Israel back in the Old Testament. That same law that we can't, like the same law that we also can't fulfill just like the people couldn't, of Israel couldn't fulfill. That is the God we are talking about this morning. That God who spoke the written word that we hold in our hands is one and the same with our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God, and he loves you. Romans 5, 8. How does God love you? I know sometimes it can, be, it can be hard to just hear this over and over. God loves me. God loves me. Jesus loves me. What does that mean? Romans 5.8, he tells you how he shows his love for you. It says, God shows his love for us in that while, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God for that. Because I was never going to be good enough for him to accept me as I was. I was never going to earn his love for me. He just did it because he does. Because he loves me. We had, a, we had to write a paper on the gospel. And... Uh, This morning, as I was considering the love of God for us, and actually as my wife was listening to me read the sermon to her, she said, you need to, you need to actually proclaim the gospel. I said, that's, that's a good idea. So here it is. 
God is rich in mercy and chose to send Jesus Christ to the earth to take on human flesh and sacrifice himself on a cross to atone for our sins. He put all our sin upon himself on that cross and suffered, bled, and died so that we could be set free and not pay the punishment ourselves. Then, on the morning of the third day, he rose in victory over sin and death, forever defeating the power of death that was within us. Isn't that awesome, church? That's what God has done for you. He has loved you. And not only that, but he also lived a perfect life that is a substitution for our sinful lives so that his righteousness is credited to your account. That's how God has loved you and is loving you still. Look, the more and more I meditated on this, the more I realized just how impossible it is is for us to attain to this knowledge to really, truly grasp in our hearts and souls the love of God. And what made it especially obvious to me is the word of God itself. Uh, Paul, as he's describing to the Ephesians, like the magnificence of God, if you read Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, how many of us have memorized Ephesians 2, 1 through 10? And we know that that's the gospel. It's We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But even in the face of this awesome truth, and we can all nod and say amen, and I agree, he still prays to them in Ephesians. He still prays for them, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 22. And I want to read that prayer over you right now. Because I am convinced without this, We won't fully know the love of Christ. And I desire that everyone in this room, when you walk out today, knows that Jesus Christ loves you in the depth of your being. So please, close your eyes as we pray the prayer of Paul over the church at Ephesus, and we pray that over you today. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If we know that we are loved by Jesus Christ, our ears will hear his voice. Go back to the text, John 13, 34 and 35. So, so far, we've been focused on how he says a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. And then he says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So the second point, the church loves like Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the church is described in a couple of ways. And one of the most common ways is as a body, right? So, this was one where I was, I was considering, you know, putting an image on the screen. It's like, what should I do for a body? And it's like, well, I'll be standing up there preaching, so here it is. <laughs> Colossians 1.18, it states that we are the body. The church is the body. And Christ is our head, right? Okay. Well, I'm a really, really good image of this because you really see my head. Like, there's nothing hiding the fact that this is my head, okay? And I don't know about you, but my body has never done anything that my head didn't order. I don't know why my head ordered my body to stand to the left of the podium right now, but it did. So I'm standing right here. In five seconds from now, I'm going to be standing over there. Do you see that? So I'm now standing here. And it's not because my feet decided it was a good idea to stand here. It is because my head ordered it to. Instructions come from the head. The body follows suit. Within our head is our brain. And I am not a doctor, so I'm not going to get deep into this. But there is a neurological path that flows from the brain through all the extremities of our body. Did you know that? That's about all I know. <laughs> so I will, not, uh, I will not dive into that too much deeper, but instructions come from the head, and the body follows suit. Always. And I have a very good example of this in my community group, and she's sitting right here, and if I ask her to stand, she won't. And she will mock me for telling her to stand, as she does every week when I'm standing behind the piano, I said, will you all stand and sing with me? And afterwards she goes, sure would have been nice if you had recognized that I can't do that. Do you know Ashley Lundvall's story? Okay, some of you might not. But there was a time in her life when every part of her body did what her head told it to do. But when she was 16 years old, if you go and read her story on Outpost Stories, you would know this. When she was 16 years old, she fell, and the T12, right? T12 was crushed. And what happens when the T12 is crushed is the neurological connection from the brain to everything below right here stops working. So it's, it's really funny. We were at Disney World with Ashley and Russ a year ago, and uh, we would get to the front of the line, and we would get up to uh, the ride that we were going to go on. The, the workers would look at her, and they're like, so are you, like, are you able to you know, make it 10 feet without that thing? And she'd look at him and go, I am paralyzed. <laughs> if she could make it 10 feet, she would not be sitting in that chair. So 
she's telling them, no, no matter how much I want them to work, no matter how much my knees want to work, and no matter how much my feet want to work, they're not connected to my head. My head cannot tell them to go. Another example of the church, we're going to use two images here. One example is the body, right? The head orders the body what to do. Another example of the church that Jesus gives of himself in John 15 is what? A big tree, right? I heard someone say vine. Vine trunk. It's, what we're looking at is a, uh, is a tree. And the trunk of the tree, the vine, Jesus says is who? He says it's himself, right? He is the vine. What are we? We are the branches. So as long as we were abiding in the vine, and we're receiving our nutrients from the vine, we produce fruit, right? Every tree produces the fruit that comes from the vine of that tree. We might produce, let's see, we might produce leaves, apples, figs, pine needles, pine cones. All that stuff comes from the DNA that is in the vine of the tree. I don't even know if it's called DNA, but I use that. All right. Any branch that does not produce, you've all seen that, haven't you? The branch that doesn't produce? I mean, how many of you have walked by a tree and seen that branch is not producing? Have you seen that? I see it in my backyard right now when I'm home. Um, what happens with that branch that doesn't produce? Eventually, it gets pruned, right? I mean, that's what I do. I'm pretty ruthless to my trees. If it's not producing, I'm cutting it down. Well, it's the same thing in Scripture. He says in John chapter 15 that if you are not abiding in the vine, you also will be a dead branch. And he says that the Father will come and will cut all the dead branches and burn them up in a fire. It's a serious thing, church, to call yourself a Christian, yet willfully choose to not follow Jesus Christ's commands. He commands us to love as he loved us. Is it optional? It's not optional. The church loves like Jesus Christ. So we're going to do a quick exercise here. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21 is where we're going. If you want to go there and cheat, you're welcome to. But we're going to do a quick exercise. I am going to ask you guys some questions. And we're going to uh, work with four quadrants in the church. Do you know which quadrant you're in? This one's pretty obvious. So we got the back left quadrant, the back right quadrant. Can you raise your hand if you can hear me back there? It's working. All right. The front left quadrant and the front right quadrant. I am going to ask you guys questions, and they are yes or no questions. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask the question, and then I'm going to say one, two, three, you respond yes or no. We'll hear who's louder, yes or no, okay? So we'll start right here in our front right. You guys are going to have to answer eight total questions. You guys are going to have to answer eight total questions. Seven questions, seven questions. Ready for this? All right. 
Front right quadrant. Should love be genuine? One, two, three. Yes. Front left quadrant. Should you abhor what is evil? One, two, three. Yes. All right. Back left. Should you hold fast to what is good? One, two, three. Back right. Should you love one another with brotherly affection? One, two, three. Back up here. We're doing great. Should we outdo one another in showing honor? One, two, three. All right. Over here. I know it's so obvious, isn't it? Should we be slothful in zeal? One, two, three. Ooh. All right, back left. Should we be fervent in spirit? One, two, three. Back right. Should we serve the Lord? One, two, three. All right. I was a little nervous about that one. All right, back up here. Should we rejoice in hope? One, two, three. Right here, should we be patient in tribulation? One, two, three. Back there, should we be constant in prayer? One, two, three. Back there, should we contribute to the needs of the saints? One, two, three. Ooh. (laughs) Not so sure. When When a preacher talks about contributing, it just... Everyone holds back a little bit. Up here, should we seek to show hospitality? One, two, three. Right here, should we bless those who persecute us? One, two, three. All right. Some of you let the others who are about to say no know that they needed to say yes. In the back, should we curse those who persecute us? One, two, three. Ooh, okay. Back in the right, should we rejoice with those who rejoice? One, two, three. In the front, should we weep with those who weep? One, two, three. Right here, should we live in harmony with one another? One, two, three. Back there, should we be haughty? One, two, three. All right. Back there, should we associate with the lowly? One, two, three. Man, I'm asking you guys some tricky ones back there because it is not as loud. Up here, should, be, should we be wise in our own sight? One, two, three. No. Ooh, good job. I, I was actually worried about that one. Right here, should we repay anyone evil for evil? One, two, three. No. Ooh, you girls are loud. All right, in the back. Should we give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all? One, two, three. In the back right, if possible, so far as it depends on you, should you live peaceably with all? One, two, three. In the front, should you avenge yourselves? One, two, three. Ah, I tried to trick you. All right, good job. Right here. Should we leave vengeance... To the wrath of God. One, two, three. Yes. 
All right. In the back, if our enemy is hungry, should we feed him? One, two, three. Ah. In the back right, if our enemy is thirsty, should we give him something to drink? One, two, three. (laughs) Your pastor, Greg, says no. (laughs) In the front right, should you be overcome by evil? One, two, three. Over here, should you overcome evil with good? One, two, three. Yes. Thank you, church. That was impressive. That was 30 questions. And I am so delighted you answered them all the way I would have. So I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't. So that's why I think I did such a large group per answer. I thought there may be, you know, enough of the answer that I was hoping for. 23 yeses and 7 noes. And honestly, as you guys were listening, there was a lot of laughter because I think our popular church opinion says that these commandments, they're kind of duh statements, aren't they? You know what I mean? Like, uh, should we rejoice with those who rejoice? Duh. Yeah, we should. You know, if someone's hurting, should I walk up and be like, ah, get on up, buddy. You're all right. You know, his leg is broken. I should be weeping with him. Right? These are things that you're like, well, yeah, it's obvious. But honestly, when you apply it to your real life, is it that easy? Think about this for a minute. When my coach in college, I played college football back at Michigan Tech University. Uh, My coach in college, in the game before, or in the run-up and practice before our first game, I intercepted our quarterback. I was on the scout team defense. I ran it all the way back for a touchdown. I felt really good about myself. So did my scout team teammates. But if you've ever played football, you know the scout team is not supposed to do good things. So while I was cheering and jumping up and down, I ran back and put the football in my head coach's stomach because that's what he told us to do. Although he didn't take it from me, he glared at me. And I felt pretty awkward, so I dropped it. Walked back to my huddle. My teammates were all looking at me like this. I said, what? They're like, he's staring at you. And I turned back around, and the whole practice had stopped. And for the next minute, I found out what cuss words were. As he screamed at me, everything, everything that I had done was just absolutely wrecked in front of all my teammates. I was on display as the worst football player in the world. All right? He ridiculed me. He mocked me. And he cussed me out in front of the entire team. Well, I just asked all of you guys, what question? I said, should we bless those who persecute us? And you said, yes. When someone persecuted me, my flesh said no. So the rest of practice, guess what governed my actions? Anger. Have any of you felt anger before? It rises up from within you from a place you never knew existed. And what happens on the football field is you nearly kill people. So for the rest of practice, I buried people. I was a defensive player. I played linebacker on the scout team. 
And the next play, I took that tight end. I put him on his back, and he outweighed me by 50 pounds. I ran right over him, stuck my arm out, and I clotheslined the running back. And I didn't stop running until I was right in front of my head coach. And I stopped like this, and I glared at him just like he had just glared at me. Now, I didn't say anything because I'm a Christian. I was angry for days. In the locker room afterward, one of our senior captains walked up to me while I was showering, and he said, are you okay? I said, don't talk to me. And he walked away. The next day I came back to practice, I was still seeing red. I still hurt people that next day because the anger was so strong inside of me that someone would tell me all those nasty things I was going to show him. So I proceeded with my life to make a mockery of my coach as much as I could. My actions showed that anger overwhelmed me and dominated my thoughts. And it wasn't just for days, because guess what a coach does when he sees that kind of rise out of a player? He does it again and again and again. Okay? I got verbally abused my entire freshman year of college. Every single week, there was one moment where we picked on Chet. And it worked every single week. After I got picked on, I wrecked people. He liked that. So he kept picking on me. Okay? When I was a junior in college, this was about four, three years later, I thought I had grown. Because my freshman year, I was going through, really I was going through a transformation in my life where I was saying, man, when I'm angry, I play really well. But I don't like being angry because I'm a child of Jesus Christ. So I knew there was a problem in my actions, and I wanted to see that get fixed. And by my junior year, I thought God had fixed it. People would yell at me, I'd smile. Like, whatever. I have joy in my heart. And I'd play joyfully. But there was a wide receiver for Ferris State University who really just got under my skin. This guy had hair down to his butt. And... One time, I tackled him, and I pushed him out of bounds, and I'm sliding on my back. And as I go to get up off my feet, he comes over me, pushes me down from behind. I didn't see him coming, straddles me, and says, stay down, you son of a something I don't want to repeat in front of you. Okay? He runs back onto the field, and I went, all right, vengeance is mine. <laughs> the rest of the game, I hunted that guy. The next year, we played them again, and guess what I did? I hunted that guy. See, for a year, I hung on to vengeance. When I watched him on film the next year, I'm like, I'm going to kill that Goldilocks. Like, and I did. The next year, I had an opportunity. He caught the ball. He's running on the outside. I grabbed him by the hair, pulled him right down on his back, and I walked away feeling pretty good for about five seconds. Says so that's what happens when we, when we give in to our flesh, right, church? All these commands, it's easy for you to collectively say, yes, we should do that. But real life presents itself, and what do we do? We act from our flesh. What if I had the love of Jesus Christ in me? What if the love of Jesus Christ was motivating me? How do you think things could have been different? Do you think maybe instead of making a mockery of my college coach, I could have prayed for him? And what if I had prayed for him? And what if I had gone up to him after practice and said, Coach, 
The things you said to me were hard to hear, but I think it might come from a heart of anger in yourself. And I'd like to pray with you. I don't know that that would have gone well, but do you guys think that it would have been better for me? I do. What if instead of chasing that guy down for two years on the football field, when he said those things to me and then ran off, I had gotten to my feet and said, God, please forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know you like I know you. He doesn't know that there's nothing lasting in the fleeting joy he just got from making a mockery of me. He doesn't know you. Will you save his soul? And what if I had gone up to that guy after the game and I'd given him a hug and said, hey, I love you in spite of what you did to me. And I want you to know Jesus Christ because he's my Lord and Savior and I don't feel like you know him based on what you said to me. What's the motivation that should be guiding us? Is it our flesh? Or is it the love of Jesus Christ? Are you with me? Should our flesh be governing our actions or should the love of Jesus Christ govern our actions? Let's go through this text. Romans 12, 9 through 21. On my own, I can do none of these 30 commands. I believe that. I believe I am capable of doing none of them. Even though you all so easily said yes and said no in the correct way. Do you agree with me? Does anyone on their own think they are capable of doing these? don't see any hands up. So we're going to read through these again. And I'm going to pause after each verse. And if you're with me, if you agree that you can do none of this on your own, but you need the love of Jesus Christ burning in your souls, being the motivation by which you do what you do, will you please say when I pause, because Jesus loves me. You with me? When we pause after these commands, it's got to be the love of Jesus Christ that propels us to do it. So please, as many of you are willing to say it, say, because Jesus loves me. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, or by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I hope you are encouraged, church. Are you encouraged this morning? Will you please, I implore you, at the start of Romans 12, this passage that we just read, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Do you know what that means? Well, that's the King James Version that I grew up hearing. Like, I implore you by the mercies of God, because Jesus loves you, present your bodies a living sacrifice for him. Go out and love like he loved you because it burned so deep inside you what Jesus did for you while you were yet a sinner. And you know that. You know you don't deserve it. You know you did nothing to earn it. And so you just get to turn and give that to everyone around you now. Are you encouraged by that? It has been so good and so motivating to meditate on that thought for me this last week and a half. And I implore you to do the same over this next week. Guys, the eternal, immortal, invisible, only wise God loves you despite all you have done, all you are currently doing, and all that you will do that's not up to par with his commands. It's amazing, incredible, and unexplainable, and it is also inspiring. The motivation, energy, and foundation for everything good that we do is Jesus Christ's love for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. As they're coming up, we've been speaking a lot to the Christians in this room. And Christians, I hope you are encouraged. I hope the depth of your soul is just so encouraged by the love of Jesus Christ for you this morning. If you don't know this love, though, but your soul has been urging you this morning to get to know him, don't let the sun go down on you today without crying out to him to save you. Greg preached last week that the church began with a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the reality that all of us were guilty of nailing the innocent Son of God to the cross. Some of us are still living in this guilt. It is good and right, as Greg said last week, for you to feel that guilt. That is the consequence of your sin against the holy God. However, the gift that God has offered to you is freedom from your sin and guilt and eternal life in Jesus Christ. How can we have eternal life in Jesus Christ? Because he is alive. 
Even though we were guilty of nailing him to a cross, God raised him on the third day. And he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding on the church's behalf. And you can have access to that. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want that this morning, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Don't turn your back on this offer this morning. I love the church. I love what God is doing in this church. I'm surrounded by so many brothers and sisters, both in my community and in the things that we're doing midweek. You guys are encouraging me. You're motivating me by your love for me that is in you through Jesus Christ. I want all of you to be a part of this. I want you to know the love of Jesus Christ that I feel every single day, and not only from God, which is the only way it was for a large portion of my life, but also from the love of the people around you, the people that will be with you when you're hurting, the people that will rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. It's a wonderful thing. Church, remember, the church of Jesus Christ is known by its love for one another. It's not a suggestion to love like Christ. It is a command. Ask yourself, am I known by this love? It's an uncomfortable question to ask yourself. I'm not here to tell you to go from here and get upset and put up a to-do list with all 30 of those commands and say, I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. What I'm asking of each of you is to abide in Jesus' love. That's going to be the motivation that makes you rejoice the next time you consider that question. Am I known? by my love. Abide in Jesus' love. Cry out to him today. Ask him to draw near to you and teach you to love like him. He is the only one who can give you the power to love as he loved. I love you. Jesus loves you. I hope you all go in peace. Please stand and sing.